Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Okay, Ben, so there's a lot of stuff going on globally right now. Um, if you even listen to podcasts, I'd say there's a 100% chance you know what we're talking about. But um, Ben, what are we talking about? Right. So we're talking, of course, about the outbreak of COVID-19, the coronavirus, which is causing a dramatic shift in the way that we work, in the way that we socialize, in the way that we address healthcare, a whole host of issues uh, that are very relevant to everyone's life right now, uh, not just in the United States, but around the world. And so, you know, we thought that it would be appropriate for us to turn our attention here in the podcast to topics that people are finding relevant. You know, uh, the, the one that we were going to release it for, for uh, this episode was a really good one that we had previously recorded, um, but just didn't seem like the right one to do at this moment. So we're going to release that one a little bit later. Uh, so right now we're going to talk about something related to COVID-19. And what is that topic, Chris? Well, I mean... We're all at home, socially isolated, right? <laughs> better be. <laughs> I mean, I look out my window and I just see, oh, there's there's na- neighbors walking their kids or their dogs or the dogs right. walking the parents or whatever. And when we get in our little groups to socialize, at least on my street, you know, we're all staying six feet away from each other. But you're not getting the zest of life, the hugs, the high fives, the you're not going to work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? It saw a forecast of unemployment may hit 30 percent here soon. Oh my so gosh. so you're stuck in the house. Well, for me, I've got two kids and we are homeschooling them. Basically, the teachers are sending us packets and stuff to walk through the kids. And we're just spending a whole, whole lot of time together. Mm-hmm. Right. What about you, Ben? That's same thing when your hood, same, right? Same thing in my hood, right? So my wife and I are both uh, working from home, and we are also dealing with trying to educate our uh, four children while they are at home, while at the same time all trying to keep various people from killing each other. Uh, so it's been been a fairly fairly interesting uh, endeavor so far, a couple days into it. And so our topic today is sanity while isolated, lessons from POWs and astronauts. Yeah, and some anecdotal stories from our recent suffering. <laughs> <laughs> so Ben, we're going to cover three things today, as you know, because we did the outline together earlier. Um, right. Humans are social, like um, how and why that all works and impacts us, uh, experience with military deployments and training scenarios and some of our own life experiences with social and small group isolation, and then guidance for behavior while in captivity. Um, and we've got some of those lessons from prisoners of wars and U.S. military people and astronauts. So That's right. It's going to yeah. be good. Yes, absolutely. So let's go ahead and start with this whole first topic within this overall umbrella of social isolation, and that is that humans are social creatures. Uh, This is something that we have known for a long time. It is somewhat intuitive as well, that when we are isolated from other people, we tend to be, uh, we don't like it. Uh, You know, when you um, put someone in solitary confinement, for example, that is oftentimes considered one of the worst things that you can do to someone. And uh, when we think about it in terms of attachment to other people and this need to belong, there's a seminal article that was written and published uh, back in 1995 um, all about this in Psychological Bulletin, and we'll put a, a link to this in the show notes. Uh, this is called, uh, called The Need to Belong, a Desire for Interpersonal Attachments as a Fundamental Human Motivation. Uh, just talking about this entire idea of social interaction being really part of who we are as humans. Right. And I can hear the snickering from the um, loners, like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> you, know, you see the memes, you're like, oh, stay in the house all day watching trashy Netflix. I've been preparing this for my whole life type thing, yeah. right? Um, and like, I actually did some 
digging back end. So you have like a monastic traditions or, mm. you know, hermits. I know within some of the Orthodox faith, um, you know, they have these guys that go out and they just pray and, and seek spiritual wisdom and, and or like the from the movies, the Kung Fu masters of old, you know, they, they go up on a hill and, and, and spout, um, you know, martial arts philosophy type stuff, right? <laughs> you know, we have these kind of um, genres, right, in our right. cultural conscious. But if you actually go back and look, and I looked at some of the data and studies around, or not, let's say studies, but just some research where they view, the, the monastics, the monks, the, the hermits, those kinds of people generally had one or two people that would visit them Mm-hmm. semi-regularly. And and I can't remember if, if this is true or if this is just a hoax, but like, wasn't like the Walden Pond guy, like, didn't his mom like make him sandwiches every day? <laughs> Henry right? David, Henry David Thoreau. Yeah. I, I don't know if his mother made him sandwiches, that, but uh, yeah, maybe. But I, I, no, I think that's the deal. So it's like here he's talking about going into the woods and he's like really at his like family's cabin and his mom's doing his laundry and making him sandwiches. So <laughs> I get it. If you're like at a workplace, which, you know, right now, a lot of people are not. I've never seen an economy. I've seen an economy crash or go through business cycles, right? Um, came out of grad school during the, the big, you know, recession or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, I've never seen an economy go from going to stop like in two weeks. Right. Like, right. I, it, it is very dramatic. Right. And, you know, to your point about... Uh, some of these people who do live off in isolation, they are oftentimes met, they do meet with other people. And this kind of speaks to this, this idea that humans are, are social creatures, even the hermits, even those who are deliberately living a- alone do seek some social interactions. And going back to that article that I talked about, that first kind of investigated this, uh, what they state in that article, and I'm just quoting from the abstract, is the need, uh, then they're talking about this need to belong, Right, this need to belong is for frequent, non-aversive interactions with within a re- ongoing relational bond, and then this idea that uh, you know this this belongingness, right? And I quote again: "Belongingness appears to have multiple and strong effects on emotional patterns and on cognitive processes. Uh, lack of attachments is linked to a variety of ill effects on health, adjustments, and well-being." Uh, so this, this really seems to be part of us, um, right? And uh, I'll just end with the last quote from the abstract. It says, existing evidence supports the hypothesis that the need to belong is a powerful, fundamental, and extremely pervasive motivation. Uh, we, we are social creatures. Yeah, you, you just can't survive. Now, some people need less than others. Sure. Uh, I am a person that just really needs lots of social interaction. I go nuts when it gets low. I need it with a variety of people, those kinds of things. But um, one of the pieces of research that comes out of the 1950s was this guy, Leon Fessinger, Stanley uh, Schachter, I think is how you pronounce his name, Mm -hmm. Um, and Kurt Back. They studied the grad student dormitory at MIT. And um, one of the things that they were looking at is... They did this big survey. I think they got like 100% participation, if I remember right. Everybody filled out about interests, hobbies, what they like to do. And then, you know, they went about their lives. And they, the, the scientists observed who actually became friends with each other. And they had theorized that it would be people with common interests, hobbies, life goals, personality, you know, something that they'd find something there. But actually what they found out is just being in proximity Mm-hmm. was the biggest, biggest driver of that, um, which is interesting. So like if somebody lived near the stairs, they were like significantly more likely to be friends with somebody on another floor than somebody that may have lived in the middle of the hallway. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. It's just, you know, just being there, right? Um, but what I also find interesting is, you know, that not only did proximity predict uh, people who you became friends with, but what else did it predict? Right. So this this is the key part of here is when you have regular contact with people, it amplifies those relational factors. So let's just say if This is a type of person you would have naturally got along with, maybe some of those, you know, same hobbies, same personality Mm -hmm. type thing. 
then you'll have a m- even much more positive interaction with that relationship because they're next to you, right? But if they're one of those, you know, jack wagons that you just don't get along with, you're like, God. Mm-hmm. If you have to be in regular, regular contact with somebody that drives you nuts, oh, well, that just exacerbates it all the more. Right. So it also predicts that that conflict that can occur. And, yeah. you know, right now, many of us are socially isolated. At least you better be practicing some social, social distancing at the very least. And, uh, you know, most of us are stuck with our families. I hope that most of you get, a, <laughs> you said, get along with your families. You said stuck with your families. <laughs> well, I, I think uh, we all kind of feel that way, right? Um, and, uh, you know, that can bring out uh, some of the best behavior, I would like to imagine, as well as some not-so-great behavior when you have to interact with people on an ongoing basis. Uh, and there's this really funny uh, and interesting, and I think just really descriptive phrase that we came across when we were doing some preparation for this episode, and it's this idea that they call a social allergy. Um, <laughs> so this is, you know, it, it's a, a reaction of hypersensitive annoyance or disgust to a repeated behavior, right? So this is, you know, when, uh, let's say your spouse or your child uh, does something and it kind of bugs you. Well, when you're in close proximity with them and it keeps on happening over and over and over and over again, uh, you start to get really sensitive to it. And it's just like, would you stop doing that? And, uh, and, and that I think most of us are probably starting to experience a little bit while we're here in social isolation. You know, when my dad was, so my dad's a doctor and he's kind of changing. How does he put it? He's failed retirement four times. You know, he just doesn't (laughs) know how to not work. And, and he's married to this great lady, Dolores. Um, we love her to pieces. But I remember he was in one of those times um, when he was trying the retirement thing out, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, Dolores was crying. And I remember my wife, you know, she's very empathetic. She's like, oh, Dolores, what, you know, is this change really hard? You, you know, expecting her to say, you know, yes, getting older or something. It's like, no, oh, it's just so hard because... She's Boston accent, and I can't even do it. Y- your father's <laughs> home all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh. and it's like, it was the same thing when we were in, um, you know, when I got back from my first deployment to Afghanistan, well, my only deployment, I should say, to Afghanistan, um, my wife and I went into some marriage therapy. And, and I remember my wife was frustrated because we we're getting some of this social allergy going mm. on because she had kind of started running the household all on her own and was used to inter- interacting with a occasional phone call from me. Right. And, you know, she just frustratedly told the therapist, you know, he'd be happy living in a connex, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you, you should probably explain what a connex is. Oh, it's those shipping containers that come on container ships, right? Like <laughs> those giant metal things. And and she was right, you know, it's because it takes at most three to five minutes to clean up the thing. And when you got two kids, it, anyway, you can see the whole dynamic. Kids are around all the time. If you're used to going to work and now you have to be a stay-at-home parent, that may drive you nuts because of mm-hmm. all of these social allergies because you're just exposed to those annoyance behaviors. However, when you have a workplace you can go, um, a place of worship, any of those kinds of things, you know, a club that you're a part of, a running group, you're able to dial in and dial out of those socially annoying behaviors that yeah. everybody has, right? And as as you're talking through those other ways in which we can kind of get it, you know, change our social milieu, if you if you will, uh, I was just thinking, you know, we have none of those right now. Uh, <laughs> being being in a state of social isolation, we are expressly uh, not to go to our places of worship or out to a restaurant or go out with right. the, go out and work out with other people. We are stuck with in our homes. And the the big paradox here, as we've already described, is that we are social creatures. We have this need to belong. Uh, at the same time, we also can develop these social allergies with the people around us where we get hypersensitive to little things that they're doing that can really start to annoy us. And uh, there's it's just this tension that over time can really build up and create some real issues. And I'm sure it already has. I, I've heard that, I don't know if this is true either, but I've heard, I've seen news reports that as some of the quarantine restrictions in China started to relax, that a, a whole bunch of people started rushing off to get divorced. <laughs> 
I shouldn't laugh, but it totally fits in with what we're saying here. Um, I know. I, it's just like, what, what, you just see that conversation. You jerk. As soon as we're out of this quarantine, I'm, I've already emailed done. our... Yeah. I know. What are we going to have? Like uh, web... Um, you know, you can go webcam yeah. divorces, you know, maybe, maybe <laughs> that's, that's the next evolution of, uh, of family law. I don't know. <laughs> so, oh man. Uh, so it's a really interesting dynamic that we all have to deal with. We can't really get away from. And I think this is where and I haven't see, seen this addressed too much, uh, but I think is really useful is where we can talk about some of the experiences we've had with military deployments and training scenarios, and then move into some of these lessons that we can take uh, from really extreme examples of people, for example, who were prisoners of war or astronauts. Uh, so maybe we shift now and talk a little bit about some of the experiences we've had with military deployments and so forth. Yeah, so it's a weird skill set you get. This um, It's kind of, I think of it as in two groups. Like the one group, like how do you be by yourself and don't just turn into a blubbering idiot, right? <laughs> That's a challenge. <laughs> Like, if I go too long, you know, I have some times of tears on my own, right? Um, but then also just being stuck with a small mm -hmm. group, uh, you know, your day in, day out. If, if your job is to man a radio and a listening post, observation post somewhere on a deployment, and it's just you and one or two other people <laughs> for a year, right? Right. So I guess, I don't know. Let's talk about an experience. So I got the basic training. I signed up late. I think I was like 28 or something like that. Old. old. I mean, that, it, that was old. There was uh, two other guys that were like older than 22 and, mm -hmm. in my basic training, if I remember correctly. Um, and, you know, so everybody shows up. You're doing the basic training thing. Um, I joined the military because there was a Wall Street Journal article, oddly enough, that said you know, they're paying these big bonuses and stuff, um, to retain. So I actually didn't get a bonus for joining, but, um, the, um, the bonus was existential. Right. Um, but I thought it was so sad that our country had to pay bonuses just to get people to sign up. Mm -hmm. So I signed up and there I was 28 years old, you know, the drill sergeant, why'd you join, you know, well, a wall street journal article, well, that didn't <laughs> go over. So you're like, what? <laughs> what Look at this one. Help. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> we're now digging into the asylum. This guy joined the army off a newspaper article. <laughs> what a mess! Yeah, it's probably the first time they heard that one. Yeah, <laughs> I know that. I, I kind of had a kick me uh, sign on my. Um, <laughs> well, I got extra special instruction from those right. drill sergeants, so they they really gave me a lot of love through that thing. But anyway, you're in this cohort, and you would think that a cohort of about 40 people, I think that's about what it was, um, a platoon, a training platoon going through this thing. But, you you know, you start going through this stuff, you become a team, you go through that forming, norming, storming stuff, um, all of that kind of stuff. But you'll have some time. So when you're at the ranges, you know, you spend only a, so many minutes shooting and the rest of the time sitting on a bleacher or standing on a firing line waiting to shoot. Mm -hmm. So you, you start talking, right? And at first, it's really interesting. Oh, my gosh, these guys came from all over the place. This guy came from Puerto Rico. This guy came from Chicago. This guy, you know, all over, right? And then you kind of get a sense of personality. And then there's enough lack of sleep, weird eating times, and exhaustion that you start to find out who these people really are, right? Mm -hmm. That social facade that so many people put on mm -hmm. um, strips away. And then you get to know all that part. And so it's still a pretty good trajectory. But then, I don't know, about week four, you know everything about everybody, right? Mm -hmm. You start talking about your favorite restaurants. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're ever going to go to that guy's weird restaurant in like <laughs> Alabama, right? Maybe you would. But um, then you talk about food you want to cook, and then there's nothing. And then that's when the annoyance starts to come out. Like sometimes there may be a little bit of, you know, pushing around, maybe a little fighting <laughs> that might mm -hmm. break out because you're just so isolated. But the drill sergeants do a good job of coaching that because that will likely be part of your military career, right? Right. And you learn how to develop this resilience and how to have these skills around that. Right, right. And you also have some experience doing this with touring musicians as well. 
Right. Yeah. So I was a touring musician for, I don't know, what, three, four years. And um, same thing. Um, I was never on any big tour, so we didn't have those really luxe tour buses with the nice bunks. <laughs> we yeah. were. In... You had a crappy van. <laughs> well, it, no, as it generally was a nice 15 passenger van. Okay. And, um, you didn't want to take on too many musicians because one, you'd have to split the money more ways. And then two, you know, everybody kind of had a whole bench seat in the van. You'd take turns driving. You generally were pulling a trailer with your gear and, but you were staying in hotels, you know, you drive somewhere, load in, sound check, play a gig, some kind of snack or dinner if they didn't have green room. And then you just do this. So you were around each other a lot. And lots mm -hmm. of times there were better players, but when people selected somebody for these bands, it's like, would this person be a good hang on the road? Right. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, so I've I've been through some interesting experiences in the military as well. And, you know, I think probably most directly related to this topic uh, just is the experience of deploying on a small ship in the Navy. So, you know, you uh, it's about 350 people aboard a destroyer. And that's what I, that's what I was on. Away, right? Right, you you really can't. I mean, I guess you could try to swim away, but that would that wouldn't really work either. Um <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's right there's a pretty big moat around your around your building there um and so you know when you're out at sea um for you know a good amount of time you're spending time not only doing your daily job but also uh which, of which you know you, you generally have a handful of different kind of roles that you take on and so you have your daily job you're doing with with people you're eating in the same location you're working out somewhere you know they, they usually have like a treadmill or something bolted into a weird spot on the ship um and a few other things uh and and you're sleeping there and you're around people all the time now as an officer I did have, uh, you know, you have a little bit more privacy because uh, you are typically in a, what they call a stateroom, which is a smaller um, room on the ship for your sleeping. So you live uh, usually, it's also your little office. So there's usually like a little desk in there for you to use and a computer. Um, so you have that room. And as a junior officer on a ship that size, it's usually with maybe, you know, two, uh, maybe usually two or three other people in that room with you, um, versus the rest of the crew. And they're, they're in larger birthing compartments, which may have, you know, 10, 20, 30 and more, um, racks, which are just beds, big bunk beds. And so you're spending a lot of time with these people. And what I found, uh, you know, what people tended to do after a while to get through this, and this may be a technique that people, our listeners may find, uh, useful when they're with their families and so forth. If you're just trying to, sometimes you do just need to kind of take a break and get away from certain people. <laughs> and, you know, um, so we had, I had a stateroom that was located in the aft part of the ship, which is the, the back part. Um, so it was a little bit away from some of the other staterooms where the other officers were. And, and I had a, a friend who used to always come back to our stateroom and he called it the Oasis because we got along well with him and uh, he liked to eat the snacks that my mom had mailed to us. And uh, so that was his way of kind of recharging was to get away from his other kind of group of people and go spend some time down there. Now, I think in a, a situation where you're stuck at home with, with maybe your family or and so forth, um, that's where you need to, you know, say, Hey, kids, you guys are going to, you guys are going to watch a movie and mom and dad are just going to go sit and have a cup of coffee in this other room. Like if somebody starts bleeding profusely, uh, come and tell us, but otherwise just sit and watch your darn movie. You know, those types of things I think can be very helpful. Um, we also, you know, I think you, you kind of, uh, there, there's a big need for forming and um, kind of curating a good um, set of friends. You you need to have good social interactions, good relationships, um, and and I think this kind of goes to where uh, you know when when I went to Afghanistan, I, it was kind of a unique situation that the Navy has done now for about a decade and a half, where we've been sending people what we call individual augmentees, where these are reservists usually who. Uh, get get plucked. They're not part of a unit. They get they get plucked from their civilian life, from their reserve unit, and said, "Hey, you're going to go do this job." Um, usually in Afghanistan or Iraq or somewhere, um, and you know, so you are literally being taken away from everyone you know 
either in the military or out, and being sent to kind of be in a very new type of situation. And what's useful there, and actually I just was in a, I was doing some military work uh, past couple of weeks, and I, I heard a chaplain uh, talk about this directly, and I just thought it, the way he put it was really great. He said, you know, you really need to, because we are social creatures, you have to um, work to build those social relationships and maintain them. Um, you need to have, everybody needs to have in their life someone who they can talk about, uh, you know, all kinds of things with. And so I think just keeping that in mind as you go through these socially isolated times, um, you know, that's important. If your person with whom you can talk and, and really relate with uh, isn't in your home, uh, well, the good thing is we, you know, the, the phones still work, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the computers still work, and we can still interact with people that way. So maintaining that, I think, is really important and can help people get through these tough times. Right. So... Yeah, let me share some pragmatic tips, you know, before we kind of go on. So I was out on this one project where we were doing Meditech and McKesson implementations for this large hospital management company. And we had these travel trainers, because not only would the software get turned on by IT, we had to train physicians how to use it and make sure that we were compliant and everybody was trained, right? Mm. And so some of it was as simple as, hey, doctor, you need to click here, right? Here's where you can get their, you know, blood work and that kind of stuff. So, but anyway, a lot of people that, it's hard to get people for these jobs where you travel a lot because, um, well, we like to have a regular social thing. So I was, it was about a year that I was on the road Monday through Friday. And uh, then I had drill uh, for my National Guard service uh, one weekend a month. So I only saw my family three weekends a month. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I had the preparation from the military to be able to emotionally deal with this. But we'd watch people come on and get onboarded. And fine, they learned all the trainings. Um, they, uh, know how to do the software. They know how to book their travel they know how to uh, submit their expense reports. And, um, then they'd be on the road and within six weeks or so they would bug out, which was, ah, mm. uh, it was a challenge because then we would be, the extra work would fall onto us and those kinds of things. So some of the tips that were, were helpful is always stay in the same hotel. Mm. Um, Develop something that you do for yourself, be that a book club or, or whatever. Um, do the same kind of patterns. And this is that kind of thing. So if you're like at home, wake up and don't look like a, you know, pajama gram all day, every day, right? <laughs> <laughs> Put, wake up, take a shower. In the military, we do this. Everybody makes their beds. Their mm -hmm. boots go stowed in a certain way under their bunk, their stuff. These are these things that I call them like hangers for our emotional sanity. You got to build those habits and those hangers so you have, have those patterns. Second thing, if you're always around, so it's easy because you don't necessarily know anybody when you're on these travel situations, or if you're stuck with a new group of people. I have a friend of mine that just took a new job at a university in LA, and he didn't know where he wanted to live. He's a single person, so he just said, hey, I'm going to get a uh, room and a house with a couple of other individuals. California is now locked down, and he is oh living. Gosh. I know. He's now quarantined with two people he doesn't even know. Um, That's going to change. <laughs> yeah, So, and they're having some challenges with it. Uh, good news wow. is they're working through it, but we have a portfolio of, of relationships in our lives. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, you have your home and family life, but if you're stuck with your family all the time and they're used to you going to work or, and they're used to going to school, they're not used to this dynamic of being together. So one way is to have some separation. I know that now Ben, you and I had met at this thing. I it was most weeks. I think it was cigars and guitars in mm -hmm. Afghanistan. So we'd smoke guitar or smoke cigars and play guitars and sing, you know, like Radiohead songs and stuff. Um, <laughs> that was a really great time for me because I spent so much time with my unit, um, vehicle maintenance, kicking off, approving missions, you know, all those kinds of things in a close, small, small office, day in and day out. It was nice to have a time once a week for a couple hours where I could just go socialize with somebody mm -hmm. else. And, and sometimes, you know... I would also just put my earbuds in because the density, we were on this camp called Camp Eggers and 
it was like the density was like more than the densest city in yeah. the entire world. Um, so you couldn't get alone time. And so I'd, I'd take a folding chair over to the wall, put in my headphones, <laughs> face the wall, and read my Kindle. Because I just didn't want to see anybody. So mm-hmm. I had to have both alone time, other social time, and then, like, you know, you're maintaining that team time. So how that's right. looking for, for me here right now during this thing is I have my time with my daughters where we're, like, homeschooling, doing those school packets they sent, time with my family, like, at the meals. Um, and then I have like sometimes like I'll take an hour or two each day. I know it sounds like a lot where I'll video chat a friend, um, go on a socially distanced, uh, walk, you know, six feet away, walk with the neighbor, um, (laughs) those kinds of things. So I have my separate time and then I'll also have my alone time where I'm either like reading or practicing guitar or something like that. Right. Right. And I think, you know, that's a really good way to look at how we can build some routine and some predictability and some structure into our daily lives when it feels like so much of our daily life has been upended. So, you know, with my family, for example, you know, that that looks like, hey, everybody still gets up and still gets dressed, still gets their teeth brushed and all that kind of stuff. We're, we're still having meals at the regular time. And like you said, alternating between these different types of uh, social interactions. So, you know, there's the time for my wife and I to work individually on our own because we're both working at home right now. Uh, there's time for the kids to do things together, time for the kids to do things separately, um, and time for us to interact with them as well. So, um, and, and like you said, building in some of these other opportunities. So having, you know, a, a, a video chat that happy hour with people, you know, those kinds of things can happen. Um, and I, I think, Having that kind of uh, routine can help um, get get some of that social allergy <laughs> out of the system. So you're because if, if you if you if you're only paying attention to those things that are right in front of you and the people who are immediately around you and 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 you know that's going to lead to some conflict. Um, you need to kind of uh, break it up a little bit, and you can still do that even if you're stuck in the same building, the same home. Yeah. You know, I mean, th- thank goodness we have technology. I mean, this would be really hard. This would be a lot harder, I would say, I think, if we didn't have the ability to, uh, you know, talk to people, video chat, all that kind of stuff, those types of things via technology, right? Right. And this is one of the things that, so people will also go through mood changes. So I know when we're on deployment, um, <laughs> sometimes, you know, if you're at a critical part of that mission, maybe one of the soldiers has a baby and they're not able to fly back over for that event. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, you know, we had several that were able to do that and it was, it was fine. Or maybe there's a death in the family, Mm -hmm. right. And those kinds of things. And so you'll see mood changes in yourself or one of your soldiers or, you know, one of your family members as stuff, you know, as people are separated from their uh, elder care situations. Right. Um, there can be a variety of things that causes those moods to change. And being plugged into the moods around you um, can be really powerful when you're close together. And I'm not saying powerful in a good way, although it mm-hmm. definitely can. And so it's easy for us to get emotionally infected by those around us. Or if you have a fight with your kids, a spouse, a roommate, somebody, that they can take on higher proportions than it would if you had that portfolio of social events happening that you're used to. And um, there's this uh, guy, Bowen. He runs the Bowen Institute. Um, We'll put a link in the show notes in it. This is something that I work, if you've listened to some of the other episodes, I've brought this up, um, but this idea of differentiation of the self. And this is something you can really grow on as an individual while you're going through this kind of gauntlet right now. This is a perfect time for practicing differentiation. Look at, <laughs> look on the look on the bright side. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because if life will demand a certain level of differentiation from you and if you don't grow in this area, life will keep throwing you that daggone lemon until you make some lemonade out of it, <laughs> right? And so I'm just going to read a couple quotes from uh, their website. The link is in the in the um show notes. So, so people with a poorly differentiated self depend so heavily on the acceptance and approval of others that either they quickly adjust what they think, say, and do to please others, 
or they dogmatically proclaim what others should be like and pressure them to conform. And I think we've seen this, you know, everybody's seen a relationship where, you know, they say, well, that person wears the pants or whatever. They see Mm -hmm. some of that pressure. And lots of times people just to avoid social friction, just adjust. But when you're not differentiated and you're doing that adjustment all the time, eventually that leads to resenting that other person. Mm-hmm. And if you're more of that kind of a bully or, um, you know, per- person who proclaims how other people should be, people may let you just take that role, but it's kind of a powder keg waiting to blow up in your face, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're but not going to like it. Yeah. These are things that appear in these dynamics when you have to spend a much more time together. So now uh, here's a continuing with some of the quotes. So a person with a well-differentiated self recognizes their realistic dependence on others, but can stay calm and clear-headed enough in the face of conflict, criticism, and rejection to distinguish thinking rooted in a careful assessment of the facts from thinking clouded by emotionality. Thoughtfully acquired principles help guide decision-making about important family and social issues, making someone less at the mercy of the feelings of the moment. When someone decides that what he says matches what he does, he can act selflessly, but his acting in the best interest of the group is a thoughtful choice, not a response to relationship pressures. Confident in their thinking you can support others' views without being a disciple or rejecting others' views without polarizing the differences. You can define yourself without being pushy and deal with pressure to yield without being wishy-washy. Mm. So this is this idea you have a sense of yourself, so you can advocate for what you want. So let's all play Monopoly right now. You know, I've been spending a lot of time with you guys. Uh, I want to just go stare at the wall and pick my nose, right? <laughs> and then, But then somebody's like, oh, does this person not feel close to the family unit? So you can have some of these enmeshment issues that will mm. appear. And especially if you have, say, a death of the family member outside that you're not able to visit, it's a way of being tied together. So if, it, if you ever see that... Then you ever see that three-legged race thing that they do at like some church events or oh, like sure. different thing, right? It's where they tie the inner leg to each other, and then you have to race. Um, it could go so fast, but you could go so much faster if you were actually separate, right? Mm-hmm. And so the challenge here for a lot of people, at least a lot of people I see that face this kind of thrown together situation, is how how do they be separate? and not infect other people with this, you know, their desire for being separate is a reflection of that person. Right, right. And it's also about being, uh, you know, being assertive enough to um, to say what you want in different situations and not allowing uh, yourself to only try to please everyone at all times, um, because that's, that's not going to help either. Um, so I think that's a really, really good uh, type of activity and way of thinking uh, for us all to practice while we are being isolated with with each other in these small right. groups. You've got to take care of yourself. Um, if you're seething with resentment because you're not drawing boundaries <laughs> and space for yourself, you're actually not being a good teammate to the rest. And so you need to communicate. Likewise, if somebody finally stands up for themselves and says, you know what, I'm not okay with eating ramen every night, you know, Mm-hmm. you know, or the same ramen every night or something, right? Um, then you need to be a good teammate and be like, wow, thank you for sharing that. What can we do to make this good for all of us? Right, right. right. Great. So we've talked about kind of our experiences. We talked about how humans are social creatures, and that's a really interesting and complex thing. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit now about some of the guidance that um, we've learned throughout history for behaving um, either in captivity, so some lessons from prisoners of war, and we can talk about uh, some some good examples there, as well as from astronauts, because they spend a lot of time in small teams living together, and, it's, and, the, and the stakes are pretty high for them. Uh, so maybe we can start by talking about um, the military, and we can talk about prisoners of war, and um, we're going to refer... Uh, 
kind of indirectly to what's called the Code of Conduct uh, for members of the United States Armed Forces. And we'll put a link up to this in our show notes where you can actually read it. And what this is, it's not a law, um, it, but it is a piece of kind of doctrine and tradition that uh, is taught to anyone who is in the military. And usually, you know, before you deploy, um, you know, you go through and you remind yourself of what these things are. And it came out of some experiences that prisoners of war had, um, uh, mil- U.S. military prisoners of war, in both of the World Wars as well as in the Korean conflict. And then in 1955, um, there was an executive order that says, hey, th- this is going to be our code of conduct, and this, is, uh, we, this, this should be taught to everybody. And it's, it's been revised a little bit um, over the years, but not much. I think one of the, one of the revisions was they made it gender neutral. Um, and, you know, because originally I think it said, I, I am an American fighting man or something like that, right? So they made it gender neutral, but it's been pretty consistent. And since that has been around and taught to military service members in the United States now for the um, you know the past now 65 years, uh, people have been captured, have gone into captivity. Um, a good example of a person who did that was um, the the late uh, Vice Admiral James Stockdale. Um, he spent seven and a half years in a cap- in captivity in Vietnam. And he, along with others who have gone through those types of experiences, oftentimes cite the code of conduct and elements in it as being very helpful um, tools for them while they're in captivity. And I know that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a different situation than what we're going through in terms of being socially isolated now, but I think the principles are very relevant for all of us and can be, can be helpful. Yeah, that, just to be specific, there's a massive difference between <laughs> going through a POW, you know, some some of the stuff I see on um, social media, you know, you're just like, gosh, grow up, right? Right. Now, that's not to belittle that person's experience, because a lot of people are facing this for the very first time. You mm-hmm. know, that's something I've had to just kind of check me like, oh, man, I have a lot of experience, actually, with the, with the military on this. So in the vein of empathy, we empathize with people mm-hmm. that are struggling here. And we also don't want to diminish the gauntlet that people like prisoners of war have gone through. That being said, we can learn from everything, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Ben, let's, let's just go through some of, some of the score stuff. So like, what, what is score? Yeah. So one way that some of these behaviors that, um, a person should uh, exhibit and, and go through when they are in captivity um, can be summarized by the acronym SCORE, S-C-O-R-E. And that stands for Survive, Communicate, Organize, Resist, Escape. And of, of course, uh, you know, this, there are different meanings that some of those things have when you are being taken captive by an enemy uh, force. Uh, but I think that these same principles can really be important for us while we are in the current situation that we find ourselves in. So uh, why don't we just talk through a couple of these? So the first one is survive. Uh, what might survive mean for us right now? Well, you got to take care of yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Now, let me have a little confession. I guess it's a public confession. I've baked bread a lot. <laughs> and like, I get really... Like recently? I gain- yeah, I gain weight very readily with the introduction of bread type <laughs> carbohydrates. <laughs> it was like pretty soon I'll have to only wear my pajamas because that's all that'll fit, you know. <laughs> but surviving means taking care of eat eat right. I mean, hey, have yeah. a couple of those dessert nights, you know, make some deluxe German sourdough bread with a real sourdough starter with a complex four hundred page recipe <laughs> off of the internet. <laughs> just saying, right? <laughs> but, but you know, eat your meat and veggies, right? Um, go exercise regularly. Um, right. There's all these kind of psychological boosts that happens um, with that kind of thing. That's one of the things that really helps soldiers adapt if they keep some of those routines. But if you're not taking care of yourself, and that also means emotionally. So if you mm-hmm. need some alone time, if you need to just say, listen, if you put that wet towel on the floor one more time, you know, I'm going to kill you with a dinner fork type thing. You know, whatever you got to do, that means don't hold in bad emotions. 
eat right, exercise. It, you can't get through this social isolation thing if you don't take care of yourself first. Right. And I think, I think diet and exercise are really huge here. I mean, and they, it all ties in with your emotions as well. Um, you know, so make, making sure that you're, you're eating appropriately, uh, that you are exercising. There's all kinds of things you can do to exercise, even if you can't go outside. Uh, you know, so just, just look on YouTube. There's tons of, tons of great stuff out there. Um, Save that Miller light for after 9 a.m. and maybe <laughs> maybe every other day. <laughs> right. I mean, I, so we, we're, we, we laugh, but I was actually thinking, you know, it could be very easy to to really drink a lot uh, during a time like this. I, I could just imagine, you know, um, I, I really don't drink much, period, anymore. But it's, um, it is really interesting to, to think how that, that could be a, a routine that people fall into. I mean, it's fun. I mean, I, I have sure. no beef. You know, you get a 24-pack <laughs> from your local microbrewery, and you're like, hmm, German Maybach. I haven't, and you know, your <laughs> your taste buds are most acute in the morning. So, you know, and it's like all of a sudden you gain 12 pounds in two weeks, and you're like, what? what? Yeah, this is not, not surviving, right? Right, right. So, so that's survive. Um, some things that you should do. Uh, the next one, so survive. Next one is communicate. And I think this one's huge, right? So continuing to um, find productive ways in which to interact with the people around you, even if this is someone who, with whom you've had a relationship for the past two decades, um, you, you, you know, as anyone who has had such a relationship knows, you, it's a choice every day to do that in a way that's productive. Um, so, you know, have some fun. Um, try to also reach out to some people who are beyond your house. You already talked about this a little bit, but have a, have a web meeting with somebody, uh, a, a video chat, phone calls. Use this as an opportunity to catch up with some people with maybe you, you've lost touch over the past couple of years or something. Uh, but communicate. Very important. Will help keep you sane. Yeah, it's great time to reach out to old college or high school friends that you haven't talked to in years. Um, it's It's been really cool. But, you know, in Article 4 um, of the thing, and I'll just read part of it. If I become a prisoner of war, I will keep faith with my pres fellow prisoners. Mm. Keep faith with your person to your left and the right, right? Mm -hmm. I will give no information or take part in any action which might be harmful to my comrades. Help, be a helper, emotionally helpful. Even if you're crashing um, inside emotionally, you know, maybe some bad news or something like that, you can still reach out a hand and be the strength to the person to your left and right, right? It's just be, create a productive environment. That's great. The next one is organize. And, you know, this, we already talked about this a little bit in terms of establishing some structure and a schedule and actually putting your pants on. But I think this can also ex extend to creating some new roles and responsibilities. So, you know, making up some little jobs and titles for the kids. And it could be just something really little, but it's like, then that can become that little thing that that person controls. Um, and, and has some responsibility around and gives them a sense of satisfaction. Um, you know, so rotating through who's, who's, uh, emptying the dishwasher or, or whatever, um, that can give a sense of control. It can also help to divide up some of the work that needs to happen. Yeah. So at the organize, maybe a neighborhood event where maybe, um, one spouse is going to stay with the kids and the other spouse is going to go on a cohort walk six foot away you know <laughs> i right. know one of uh actually one of one of our um friends whose kids all go to school with my children uh you know he sent out an email not too long ago and he's like hey the kids really would like to have a, a little zoom call with everybody with their, their classmates so it was hilarious they all got on and were uh, uh you know these little uh, nine-year-olds eight nine-year-olds talking to each other on the computer and, and they had a great time right um i went on a nine plus mile walk uh, with a neighbor, right. Um, that had gotten laid off and, you know, we talked, I mean, this was us helping across families, you know, he just needed mm -hmm. to blow off some steam. I needed to walk some serious homemade walk, bread off, walk off know? the bread. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, this was like a nine hour walk for three and a half hours. And, and that's a long time for my wife to just like be sitting with the kids by uh, herself when she also did the homeschooling for that day. Mm. But when I came back to my house, I was so refreshed just having a larger window of time. So don't be scared um, to organize those group and social events and organize your own um, alone time. 
right? Right, right. So survive, communicate, organize. The next one is resist. And here I think we can think about this in terms of, uh, you know, resisting the urge to, for example, escalate interpersonal conflict. You know, people are going to say and do things that are going to annoy you. Uh, they're going to do those things that become social allergens to you. <laughs> you, know, you start right. to uh, become hypersensitive to them. Uh, do what you can to resist the urge to react, uh, you know, rashly in those situations, because that's not going to make it any better. Yeah. And so like in the articles, that's like, I, you know, should I become a prisoner of war? I'm going to resist, you know, name, rank, serial number and invade questioning and stuff. For I think of resist here in this context as meaningful endurance. Mm. We're not only coming together as uh, households, as neighborhoods, as countries. We're coming together. This is what's so profound about this. As a global community of humans here. And I know that just sounds hippie as all get out, but I really feel passionate about that. We are coming together to do something good for humanity globally. And Mm -hmm. every you know, think global, act local. This is like one of those big time things about us. And we're going to resist those urge to defy the advice of experts. We're going to resist the urge to cause fights and problems in our communities because we just got to get through this daggone thing. And so Mm -hmm. we we have a mission here that's worthwhile and we're going to resist those temptations, right? And have a meaningful endurance to get through to a better world when we get to the other side of this. Perfectly said. The last one is escape. Uh, And this, of course, is a much different uh, type of uh, meaning in a prisoner of war context. But for us, I I do think that, you know, this is going for that nine mile walk with with a friend as long as you stay six feet apart. Um, those types of things, uh, try to, you know, you can still go out in your yard. Um, (laughs) those types of activities are fine. Uh, and try to, try to also distance yourself if you can, as we've already talked about, um, within your current social group. So if, for example, some of your members of your family are, uh, doing something that isn't, that is starting to, you know, be, make you hypersensitive, it might be time to kind of extract yourself from that situation and take a little bit of time for yourself so that you can come back and meaningfully engage instead of escalating that situation to something worse. Right. So in Article 6, it says, um, I'll never forget that I'm American, fighting for freedom, responsible for my actions, and dedicated to the principles for which made my country free. Mm-hmm. There's this idea of identity, right? Mm-hmm. And... um Ideas and criticism of ideas of like nation state and patriotism aside, I mean, those those are reasonable criticism to have. But there's this you get your identity from how you are in your family. Um, you get your identity from what you do as a job. And so if you've been laid off, you know, you don't have these typical identity anchors to have. But um, one of the things we want to do during this time is just, again, rooting into that identity as a human on this planet. And don't forget that you're responsible for the people in your household and you're responsible for taking care of yourself at, at this time. So when we get through this, we can, you know, move forward to better times as quickly as possible. Great. So I think we can turn our attention now to uh, a few tips that we actually got from, from NASA. Uh, there's a great article we came across it was actually just posted yesterday um you know we're recording this here on on march 23rd and it was it came out yesterday uh and it's called an astronaut's tips for living in space or anywhere and uh you're there, there's certainly some similarities here between what we already talked about in terms of how prisoners of war should act uh but I, I think there's some helpful helpful tips here so the first one they talk about some specific skills and we'll post a link of course to this in the um in the show notes, but the first one is, is communication, right? Um, making sure that other people, uh, clearly understand, uh, you and, uh, be an active listener. Uh, you know, talk about, uh, not only your, the information that you have, but also share your feelings with other people. Um, you know, don't, don't assume that someone's doing something out of malice when maybe they were just ignorant (laughs) and, uh, give people the benefit of the doubt. So communication is skill number one. Right. So, um, why and how communicating intent. Don't just do something. Maybe say, Hey, I'm going to do this because, 
Mm-hmm. I know that when I came back from Afghanistan and I came back into my house, I, Emma had it run like a well-oiled machine. And I kind of didn't know how to be. Mm-hmm. And so if this is a situation where you kind of only know how to interact in the evening time as a family, extra communication about the why, the how, while maybe a little annoying, is going to go a long way to help congeal those bonds of um, just being good good buds through this whole situation, right? Right, right. So skill number two is leadership and followership. Um, and I think a big thing here that they talk about in this article and, and certainly is relevant is you know, adjusting your style to your environment. Realize that this we are doing something different now. And so perhaps what made you successful beforehand is not necessarily going to make you successful now. You may need to change the way that you operate. You're going to need to change your schedule. You will need to change, most likely, um, some of your behaviors. Uh, and that can be a, a really helpful thing um, when you're dealing with all this change. And be kind, honest, and empathetic about the challenges with that change. Ugh. You know, right. it's going to be really hard for me to remember that. Please be gracious as I try, right? Those kinds of things, which leads to that the next one, which is skill three, self-care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we psychological, physical, hygiene, uh, you know, I haven't done anything today but sit in my sweatpants, so I'll take a shower every third day. Mm-hmm. Um, unless we're on a water quarantine, you know, <laughs> bathe yourself. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Get some uh, sleep. You know, these kinds of things. Self-care. Comb your hair if you got it. Um, I, I don't have a whole lot, but, you know, <laughs> that's what you should do. <laughs> right, right. And, and like we said, you know, get some exercise. I'm always, I, I've, I found it really amazing when I first learned, like, these, these astronauts who are on the International Space Station and uh, on these missions, they, they exercise for several hours a day. Um, and part of that is because they have to do things that are um, going to maintain their bone density, from what I understand. Um, but it, it's it's really something they have to do intentionally. Otherwise, they will start to deteriorate. Uh, and I think that it's similar things here. Um, use this as an opportunity, you know, to to try to try to stay in shape. If you don't have access to certain types of equipment or whatever, um, you know, get out your phone and look at some and find some YouTube videos on things you can do with your own body weight. There's plenty you can do. You can always just do lunges in your hallway, right? <laughs> do some push-ups, right. <laughs> um, stretch. I mean, all those kinds of things can be really useful right now. So that's self-care. Um, and the next one is team care. So it's not just caring about yourself, but also caring about the team and realizing that you are not an island uh, and that you've got to be patient and you've got to be respectful. Right. Um, it's more than just you. And so when you're at work or if you're, a uh, military leader is something like that, you know you're held accountable for some kind of result, right? And that result, you can't do only on your own. You have to do it with your team. So mm-hmm. lots of times, you know, you have different people with different skill levels, emotional resilience, a whole host of things. Everybody's their own deck of cards, right? But what you, the one thing you can do to influence a positive out- outcome is look after the psychological and physical well-being of each one of those people. Because if they're in a good place, they're most likely going to perform. They have the higher chance of performing to the top of their abilities, right? Take that view, you know, even if you're maybe a teenager or something and your parents are kind of maybe going through figuring out how to be together all day, every day. You know, every person can be a leader in this team, roommates, Mm -hmm any kind of scenario, and just take care and look out and make sure that that person, her sons, are taking care of their hygiene, physical, and psychological needs. You know, if it's been a while and they haven't gone on a walk, it's like, dude, we're kicking you out of the house. Go on a walk, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Assuming you could do it while still being away from other people. Uh, That's right. That's Uh, right. The last last one is group living. And this one, I think, is, I mean, this is something that we're all getting more used to because we're with each other, not only perhaps in the evening times, but also all, all day. Um, and both, you know, th- there's some other skills that need to come into play. Um, we need to cooperate rather than compete, obviously. Um, but I think, you know, just having a positive team attitude is really important. Um, and it's funny because I think I do this a lot with uh, in my work groups, um, particularly in the military, my military role. 
um, I probably could do a better job of this just in the family. And, you know, give praise frequently. Don't just, uh, you know, be the compliance person, uh, you know, coming down when the kids are perhaps doing something that's, uh, uh, you know, breaking the rules in some way, which they, they will. Um, but give praise frequently. Try to build up uh, an era, you know, kind of an era of, of positivity within the, the group. Right. It's group. I love how they just call them skills. So you're like, okay, mm-hmm. well, I got this skill of self care. Okay, I can practice that. Leader, be a leader, follower. Okay, practice communication. But group living is a skill, right? And mm-hmm. you have to develop it. And guess what? A lot of us are being forced into that situation. So like it or not, and that really that's how it is for the military. You get assigned to a ship, and that ship goes out for a a tour or whatever, and it's not like you can be like, ah, you know, I don't really like the people I'm working with. Um, <laughs> let's just get on, get on the satellite phone. I'm just going to call the HR person, say I need to be reassigned. <laughs> no, you know, if you did get the time on the sat phone, they'd be like, we'll talk in two years, buddy. Right. 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 Um, you're forced in that situation. So lots of people, I mean, that is a daily situation for military people. You can do it. But like the military people, you're going to have to develop that group living skill. Right, right. So those are some skills from astronauts, certainly some parallels there with uh, some of what we talked through in terms of prisoners of war. And I think they all have some good application for the context in which most of us find ourselves right now trying to socially distance ourselves and trying to isolate ourselves as best as possible in the face of coronavirus. So, uh, you know, I think one thing I'd like to just wrap up with is just, uh, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but um, talk through a little bit of the the wisdom that comes from Viktor Frankl. And yeah, Viktor Frankl, he was a uh, an Austrian neurologist and psychologist. He, he uh, was in a concentration camp um, during World War II, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, and it's a fantastic book, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. And, you know, his, again, you know, just like with the prisoners of war, we are not comparing uh, what we are going through right now with those extreme examples. We are definitely not saying that we are, uh, any of our experiences are on par with anyone going through the the Holocaust. Um, but But there are things that in those dire circumstances, if in those circumstances of um, horrific proportions, Viktor Frankl was able to find moments of beauty and joy, uh, which is what he describes in, in certain places in his book. Um, we can too. And yeah, this, this was a guy that looked into the abyss of human experience, right? I, you know, there's, I can't even fathom anything nope. more devastating than the Holocaust. And he goes in there and this is what, you know, that's a horrible experience, but this guy is a superhero because he goes in and through that, and he comes out with these gems for all of humanity. And, and that's why his work is just timeless. Man search for meaning. You should go buy it and read it. It's absolutely. But we, we got a few quotes um, from Viktor Frankl. Um, so, Ben, why don't you share one? Sure. So, again, these are all quotes from Viktor Frankl. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Right. Um, When we're no longer able to change a situation, we're challenged to change ourselves. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our, our response lies our growth and our freedom. I grasp the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart. The salvation of man is through love and in love. The last of human freedoms, the ability to choose one's attitude in a given set of circumstances. Each man is questioned by life, and he can only answer to life by answering for his own life. To life, he can only respond by being responsible. A human being is a deciding being. Live as if you were living a second time and as though you had acted wrongly the first time. Wow. Those are great. Yeah. Uh, you they're, know, they're I, so good. So good. And I think the big takeaway for all of us is, you know, we, we don't have control over the things that happen to us sometimes, but we do have control. We always have control 
over how we, re- we re- react to those situations. We have control over our attitudes. And sometimes just believing that and acting in that way can really be powerful. Right. So let me do a bit of a recap. So today, um, the episode was Sanity While Isolated, uh, Lessons from t- POWs and Astronauts. Um, so first, we talked about humans are social, and we need that. And lots of times I see problems with humans. They try to act like robots. If I could just discipline myself enough, you know, and that doesn't work. We need to recognize that we have these deep felt needs and organize around what we need to do to thrive as, as humans, not robots. Um, then we discuss about different experience, uh, experiences from our military deployments, our training scenarios, me as a musician. Some of the highlights uh, from that is getting a schedule, taking care of yourself, differentiate, you know, go check out that stuff from Bowen uh, that's in the uh, show notes, the Bowen Center. Um, and then we talk about guidance for behavior while in captivity and lessons from prisoner of wars, uh, the U.S. military, and then some really cool stuff and skills uh, from the astronauts experience. Great. Stay safe out there, everyone. We are here at the Indigo Podcast. Reach out to us at any time. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.